podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're here with Lisa Lampanelli. Heck yeah. We're going to talk about attachment, the burden of attachment. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, but Ryan called me this morning, mm-hmm. and he was like, I, actually, I got really worried when he called me uh, because he was like, hey, I was just watching Lisa's 2008 comedy special and i'm like uh-oh uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and he's like I-, I thought the next words out of his mouth was i don't know that we should publish this episode <laughs> right right um no way and it was actually the opposite he was like i would love to talk to her about you know, this sort of cancel culture and being canceled and and also how things change over time so i don't know if we can provide some context here but where's the best entry point for us to well, talk about the this? thing about cancel culture is I'm not against it in small doses and Mm. for the right reasons, Mm -hmm. but I think, and I don't think, there's a lot of comics who are hardcore and are just real bro-y about it and like, oh, dude, man, comedy's like the Wild West. Mm. I don't know. As an insult comic, a former insult comic, I was like, well, they should be able to see intention. Mm. I don't think that's enough anymore. So I always say I kind of canceled myself before I could get canceled. (laughs) And not for that reason. It was a really, the universe happily intervened. But I was like, well, I don't know that I'm against some people kind of not having a career anymore. Like if you're, you know, pleasuring yourself in front of other women, excuse me, women comics, and now you're canceled. Mm. I kind of like agree that's probably a good idea. Um, Should it be for jokes? Maybe if they were in the last five years or so or 10 years where we kind of woke up. Yeah. But I think digging out tweets and stuff from years ago is a little overkill. Yeah. But I've said it publicly ever since I retired, and I've said it before on stage, um, if I hurt anyone's feelings, Mm -hmm. not a group, I don't think a group is a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, if I hurt somebody's feelings and they approach me like a gentleman or a lady and I and they want, really want to talk about it, I am like more than willing to apologize. Like I do not be, want to be responsible for, uh, for a little trans kid feeling bad about himself or a gay kid or a black yeah. couple or whatever. But I had so many of those groups represented at my shows. I'm like, yeah. I can't be across the board some group I have to apologize to. So I think we as comics have to be a little more open to being just nice and compassionate because everybody mm. has a story. Yeah. And I did, I took a workshop once where the woman said the two abracadabras in life are gratitude and compassion. Amen. And it's like, literally, if I hear someone's story about why they disliked a joke, I usually cry and I'm like, mm. oh my God, I'm so sorry. I even had one incident where it was one of my last few shows and an older guy was in the audience, a real old man, like probably 70. And I love that when older people came because I was like, oh, they're cool too. <laughs> and um, he loved every joke. I was hitting him hard with all the old guy stuff. And um, then I started doing a couple jokes, which I would never repeat now because I just evolved past it about like some special needs stuff. And um, I noticed his face like suddenly shifted. And I'm smart enough as a comic and as an adult to go, huh, that hurt his feelings. And I just go, sir, are you okay? Which was compassionate, I feel. Yeah. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Which I go, and I just said, can you come backstage after the show and we can talk? And he's like, absolutely. So him and his wife came back and he told me, I said, sir, what happened? You know, because you were really digging when I was making fun of you. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, but years ago I adopted uh, a few special needs kids. Mm. You know, this is back before, you know, all this wokeness happened. Yeah. And he said, you know, it just kind of hit me wrong and we hugged and I was like, man, 
you're a gentleman. You didn't sit there and like yell at me or be harsh and disrupt around you. I said, you're a real gentleman. You know, thank you so much for, for telling me. Mm. So I think that's a good part of cancel culture where you can actually just admit your flaws and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't think it's a weakness to say, I'm sorry. I totally agree. It's like we, we hold our, uh, our role models, our politicians, our business owners, we hold them to this like incredibly high standard that we don't even hold ourselves to. So when someone messes up, like, yeah, I think when someone says, I'm sorry, like, yeah. and, it, and it's a genuine, I'm sorry. Like for me, like that is, that's enough. It, it's not a matter of like, these people need to be perfect. It's really a matter of like, can we learn and grow as a, you know, as a country, as a, as the world from our mistakes and become better people on the other side of it? Yeah. So I, I, I love that you said that. Like sometimes the, and I'm a sincere, I'm sorry is all you need. Dude, that's all I've needed. That's all anyone needs all their life. Mm. Like, you know, I, my mother was a big non-apologizer. You two, guys are too young probably to remember exact details of the show, Happy Days. But Fonzie used to never be able to say the words, I was wrong. Mm. So he would go like this. He would go, I was, like he couldn't say it. Right. My mother literally has never said the words, I'm sorry. Mm. And do you know when I started shifting it with compassion of like, she can't. There's something in her past that makes her not be able to do this. Mm. I go, I did start to notice, though, that later in life, she overthanked me. Every Aww. day, it was like 18 thank yous. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's her. I'm sorry. Aww. So it's not like reading her mind and assuming. It's just going, that's the best she can do. And I remember I gave one of her eulogies, and I said, we have to realize that three thank, you, three thank yous might mean I'm sorry. Yeah. So, wow. I love I, But I think we all want to just be seen and said, oh, I understand your experiences. Mm. Right. Yeah. However... There is this point where um, there is uh, recreational offense where someone oh, yes. is actually just really insecure. And therefore, because I'm insecure, yeah. now I don't get to decide whether if I offend you, I've offended you, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not actually me who's ever offended anyone. It's always the person who's offended who has offended themselves with their expectations, with their upset, whatever. Mm -hmm. Even if you're being a total dick to me, then... I get to choose whether or not I'm upset by that, right? No one has the power to upset me unless I hand them the power to upset me. Yeah. The, the thought that you just gave me about, I have a friend who, a really close friend, who has trouble saying, I'm sorry. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard him or her say, I'm sorry. Mm. And I, I never made that connection until right now. And I think there's, there's something there because... Um, I think part of it has to do with we're not willing to accept responsibility or blame for something that we've done because we think it makes us a lesser yes. being. Oh my God. Yeah. Comics are so like that or a lot of them. Mm. And you know, I recently heard Nikki Glazer who she says I'm one of her big influences. She's a, She's great. a great girl. She we're friends now. Um, say she was on Bill Maher saying she would apologize for jokes. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, you shouldn't. And that's fine. He gets to think that mm -hmm. but I go, Oh, like what's in him that makes him not kind of have compassion that way. Mm. But I also think with, you're right. I want a t-shirt that says your trigger is not my responsibility. Yes. Because I am triggered right and left, but it's not about that person changing it. You know, like if I have a friend, I okay, I love the C word. It's mm. just my word. I mm -hmm. say it all the time. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I say it and people don't get offended. For some reason, they allow me to say things. It's mm. Because so, it's never said out of anger. It's always just, hey, look at this C or whatever. Mm, yeah. So I have a friend though, and she said to me, and she's a great friend. She said to me, um, you know, I really 
don't like that word. And I said, oh my God, I totally get it. So I have compassion enough for her to not say it. And if I slip, I go, oh, I'm sorry. And she goes, no, no, I, I, I did my trauma therapy. I'm, I've worked it through. Yeah. You know, so it's our job to fix what's in us and work on what's within us. Yeah. Like you could, your hair could trigger me, which it is. No, <laughs> uh, no, triggering. no. Like Josh's hair is triggering. <laughs> yeah, yours isn't no ball away. Yeah, <laughs> right, that, right, that, right. that ain't no pretty tight either. Right, yeah, right. No, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. <laughs> and by the way, may I say, I've always said this about the minimalists. You, Ryan, have the best laugh in the world. Oh, thank you it's so much. It's really wild because it's, oh, it's earned. Everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if he laughs, it's like Howard Stern. If he laughs, you really earned it, you know? But anyway, I could be triggered by your hairstyles. It's not your job to get a fucking haircut. Yeah. It's my job to go, what happened in my past mm. that I can work on with it, that? It's funny you bring up the C word because growing up, I was in a very uh, abusive household when I was living with my mom and my stepfather. He was very physically abusive. And he would always say the C word to my mom. Oh, you know, you drunk cunt. I mean, just, oh, just really like, so every time I heard that word, it was triggering for me. And it is now at the point where I can hear that word and not get offended or feel like I got to correct somebody, but it is because of the inner work. It, it Def, is it's inner work all about the, it's all an inside job. Yeah. And the fact is, you know, um, I want to point out that I did not say the C word first on the minimalist. It was you, <laughs> it was Ryan. Yeah. And you said it so lovingly. I enjoyed it so much. No, but it is very interesting. And you can get canceled for anything these days. Yeah. It makes me really happy that I just live sort of an almost uh, silent, quiet life. Don't do too much publicly. Just the one podcast. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll listen to it. And I'll go, huh. Wow. I'm definitely different. And the comedy was just kind of the 10% of my personality. Mm. Now there's that all that other stuff like we're talking about now. Right. And it's like, huh, very interesting that we can just shift and change. And it's not worth canceling somebody for a tweet from 1973. No, of course not. You know? So that's special you did. Was that 2008 or nine? Like, I think it was 2008. But the okay. thing is, I've done five one-hour specials. One was on HBO. One was on Epic's. And the others were on Comedy Central. Oh, okay, okay. So the HBO one, I mean, that's a resume changer. Like, yeah. I remember it was a bidding war between HBO and Comedy Central, and mm -hmm. I'd already had Comedy Central ones. So Comedy Central wanted to pay more, but I've always had sight towards, you know, long-term money and mm -hmm. long-term goals. And I said, uh, that's a resume changer. Like Carnegie yeah. Hall, resume changer. Heck Take yeah. it. It doesn't pay that great yeah, right. because of the unions and stuff, right. but grab it. So yeah, the special was weird. Like, I don't watch my old shows. I've watched them and they're funny and all. Mm -hmm. I've, I'll watch my old Tonight shows like a mofo. Like they're hilarious. Like <laughs> I did 13 Tonight shows. That was badass. Oh, wow. But I'll not really watch a lot. I'll read the transcripts or whatever. But I go, oh boy, 20 to 30 to 40% of those jokes I'm not comfortable with anymore. Mm. And I think that's okay. It is. You're growing. You're learning. Yeah. I'll tell you what I love about that special, the HBO special you did is uh, I think about like Les. He was the uh, the black guy in the front row. Oh, and I you, love Les. And you were just like giving it to, and he's like cracking up. Of course. And you know, that's, it's interesting because like you said, when someone is, you're not responsible for, responsible for other people's triggers. The way I like to look at it too is just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Wow. And, and when you look, and when you look at your audience, it was so diverse. It's like they almost like came to your show to get, heckled themselves we were talking about this our friend andrew schultz yeah. he does this yep. he does a very good job in fact people will come there and they're like oh hey i'm x i'm x whatever i know there's stereotypes about me 
let me have it. Yeah, oh, dude. You, you go to then, his shows and they're yeah. like the most diverse shows yeah. that, that I've ever seen. And like, it would just be like this group of Somali people. Hey, make fun of us yes. now. Well, I used to get emails in advance of shows telling me where people were sitting. Oh, They'd wow. be like, we're the group of 10 gay guys. Here's facts about us. Here's this. And I'm like, God, you're making <laughs> me do a lot of work, girls. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it felt really good. And also I had tons of interracial couples come mm. and I even had two ask me to like perform their weddings for them oh, or wow. whatever. And it's just like, I find the people who'd get most offended at anything is white people get offended on the other people's behalf. Yes. Straight people get offended for the gay people. And it's like, yeah. that's a way of keeping people victims. That's a way of saying, you don't have the voice to defend yourself. Let <laughs> yeah. me just step in. Let me be a Karen and mm. just let me really help these poor people. It's like, no, people have voices. Yeah, you how know? patronizing yeah. is it to say, Horrible. hey, you can't take care of yourself, but I can. Let me use my privilege to take care of you. That's yeah. so insane. I, you know, there also might be a piece of it where like, there are so many white people that like to stand out. You have to like be this a-hole and like stand up for other people. Oh, Maybe that's <laughs> that becomes their identity. Right, it's like, exactly. oh, look at me. I've become woke. I wear sustainable clothing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Go to H&M, bitch. Oh. <laughs> no, but no, seriously yeah. though, I, I really, over the years, I'm like, I understand if you get offended, that's okay. Mm. You're allowed your feelings. And I can just do whatever content I put out now, I can just feel I'm doing it from the place of love that I have for everybody. It, and it, it's yeah. like, it's way too old for you guys, but like Rickles was the master, mm. Don Rickles. He's the best. Of, yeah, of going, everybody gets made fun of or nobody. Right. Like my audience was everybody or nobody. Yeah. I suspect when I see a comic who only makes fun of one group, I'm like, huh, uh -oh. wait a minute. That's weird. Yeah. But like Schultz and myself and Rickles, it's like, oh, Everybody of different persuasions is coming. I remember, oh my God, there was a group of 20 people. They were in their like early 20s at one point. They all had the same t-shirt on, but on the back, they had had printed what I used to call their group. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm not going to say it here, but like whatever slur I had said, mm -hmm. they wanted pictures. They wanted this, that, the other. I was like, of course. And you just go, oh my God, people have a sense of humor about themselves. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thin, well, thick skin is a good thing yeah. if it's not to just hide your actual pain. Yeah. Well, the the attachment thing, I think this is where, where the attachment thing really comes into this because it's it's clinging to this desire of, well, I'm different or better or whatever whatever the thing might be. And what I've noticed with you or Andrew Schultz or someone else, it wasn't making fun of people, it was making fun with. Yes. yes. It was it was fun together. It was not at their expense. Right. And mm. it's also contextual, right? Because if you went up to the to a random person on the street and started doing that, you'd oh. be a, a psycho. Yeah. It's the context of a comedy show. We're here to laugh and laugh with each other together. And we're all the butt of the joke, including, including you. us. Like I always, I was never the person who thought, was like, make fun of me first. Like that's not how insult comedy works, but make fun of yourself also. Yes. So it wasn't, hi, look, I did it to me. I call myself, you know, whatever. Yeah. Now I can get you. It's like, oh no, we're all intertwined. Yeah. And at the end, I would always say, you know, I want to thank you guys for letting me make fun of you tonight. And then I'd, you know, go around and clap for them. Of course, throw them one last joke. You know, mm -hmm. you have to make fun yeah. of them one last time. Mm -hmm. And I still have people get in touch with me. I'm like, oh my God, I remember you called me dot, dot, dot. Or you said this about me and my husband or whatever. And I'm like, oh, they get it. Yeah. yeah. But it's very interesting how things have changed a lot. Yeah. You oh. know, you can't, you can't do certain things and that's okay. Yeah. People are evolving and we'll just see what happens. It might make full circle comeback. Maybe. Yeah. I, I love about when you, like during the HBO special, like it was, 
the most like loving jabs you were giving people and like yeah. the, the intention really comes through. And I think, you know, that is, it does matter. Intention does matter. No, it does matter. But I don't think these days it could be the whole story. Yeah. You're um, right, yeah. I think like with Rickles, I learned that the more ridiculous the joke is. So it's so obvious you don't believe it. Mm, right. Make it just so simple that if you believe that you'd truly be in the clan. Yeah. So like he would say things like famously, one of the jokes I had his vinyl record of um, hello dummy. He had a joke <laughs> in his greatest album ever. He had a joke that said, and again, this would be cancelable today. Thank God for Mexicans or there wouldn't be filth. Now that's obviously such a, a ridiculous sentiment mm. that he can't believe it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I always go write it so simple that you will never be misunderstood. Of course you can never control who thinks what of you. Sure. That's fine. But most of the audience, cause you'd have evidence they liked you cause they'd come back again and right. again. You're selling out Carnegie you know, hole, oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. They're <laughs> like, okay. So again, I'm really, a lot of comics don't agree with me that you should apologize sometimes or, but I feel if I can look myself in a mirror um, that's how I act. Yeah. You know? Mm. Well, people don't understand the joke, and I hate to break down jokes here, but he's making fun of racist people. Of he's not making we fun of, of Mexican. And, and right. that, that's the thing, is, is people don't understand, like, by, by highlighting a joke so absurd, you're actually making fun of the ideology behind the joke, right? Mm. And, and so, yes, um, some people are going to be offended. Some people are going to be frustrated. Um, and as you said, you, you can't control that, but you can know what's in your heart. And mm -hmm. if you are approaching, you know, in fact, you were, uh, you know, known as the queen of mean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've sort of, you've, you've moved into being the queen of meaning in yes, a way. Yes. Ooh, I love right. That, yeah. And, and what is beautiful about that is you were mean, but never mean spirited. Mm. It was wow, always that's a good way of putting it. The appearance of mean, but what was behind it seemed like incredible love and joy and even a, a type of caring in mm. a way. That's true because I remember uh caretaking a little bit in the audience. Like when somebody my first special ever, I remember um I, I I would always pick two really good looking guys and call them gay because if I couldn't tell who was gay, like I always pick good looking guys because I'm like, well, they're usually put together. So yeah. I'm going, I, I picked a, two guys sitting together and they looked a little uncomfortable and I was like, okay, that's something to that. You have to be intuitive and go, okay, I'm going to jump to somebody else. And then the two guys I got were like, great, because they were hugging and cheering and everything. Mm -hmm. And I go, oh, it's it's good to be a noticer and yeah. notice that and notice that it's not out of them. If you want to be just mean, then you could stick with those guys and beat them into submission. What, man? You think it's bad to be called gay? F you. Right. Come on. Right. It's a comedy show. You're not paying to be abused. Mm -hmm. so I, I, that's why I never, I never really got horrible reviews for being offensive. It was mm. just like, oh, she makes fun. And by the way, that queen of mean thing, I created i go i said to a writer early on a friend of mine i go you know we got to come up with a nickname because rickles has this mr warmth which is so great mm -hmm. and which carson said i said we need something that people will you know know who i am mm -hmm. so queen of mean we said but put in front of it comedy's lovable queen of mean mm -hmm. because the lovability shines through and no one gets mad or yeah. very few so i said okay this is the way to go but again i, love it. I totally get if somebody doesn't 
get me or doesn't like me from the past. And we just have to allow them that we're not for everybody. Yeah. We're never going to be. And that's okay. And you're not beating him over the head. Like, no, you should get this. You should think this is funny. Yeah. Here's why you should think it's funny. It's no, it's showing compassion. It's right. kind of what you said. Well, I always said the first seven years of a comic are like, why don't they think I'm funny? The next <laughs> seven years are fuck you. If you don't think I'm funny. And the last seven are like, it's okay. If you like me, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. What's the, the hair thing you were talking about earlier. If, if my hair offended you and then I cut it and then all of a sudden now it's going to podcast. Sean's going to be mad because it's like, oh, you know what? I really liked your Now I'm offended that you've shaved. Mm, and like, yeah. we go around doing these things and I'm walking around with a pink mohawk all of a sudden <laughs> because it's like, oh, I thought you would like this. Oh, you don't like it. Okay, I'll change it. All right, right? I'll change this. I'll yeah. change this. And that's not authenticity. It's not me being me. It's me trying to appease you and appease you and appease you. And by mm. the way, we go through life seeking what? Validation applause right mm. i mean we've all been mm -hmm. on stages before where we're, we're seeking that nothing wrong with applause but when it becomes the point the point of doing what we're doing it, and it could be literal applause or figurative applause the pat on the back whatever it is yeah man it leads to a whole lot of misery because then i need it now i'm oh, clinging to that outcome yeah. man wow. there are more people than ever like searching for that with the likes oh my and God. the views and the subscribers and yeah it's uh it is a fruitless a fruitless endeavor it's for sure it's never enough everybody if i could just I, no one believes me it's just never enough <laughs> no. like the podcast i do the two guys are um kind of 3 year veterans of comedy so not far in yet and i keep saying you're not going to be happy playing Carnegie Hall. I mean, I hope it happens for you, mm -hmm. but don't expect it to fill the hole. So get therapy, work on yourself, figure it out, have meaningful connection. And I'm like, oh, just if I could grab every person in their 20s and teens and just say, it doesn't help. The right. things that fill the hole are things you're going to be shocked at. Yeah. Like literally, and I'm still searching for things. Yeah. I don't even have to search anymore because I'm like, oh, it'll occur. Right. Yeah. It'll occur. It's Ooh. the dogs. It's the meeting with friends, doing the writing, the podcast. It's just occurs to you and you go with it. Yeah. Mm. So clinging to the idea of my life should look a certain way. I need to become this. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. also the clinging of like, I should be fancy because I was famous. I'm so not fancy. If I sent you a picture of my house, I'm basic as F and I don't even care. I'm like, oh, this is, it's good that I don't have to feel that. But yeah. the occasional time I'll go, oh, I wonder if people are saying she lives so small. And mm. then I'm like, oh, I hope people are saying she lives so small. Yeah. That's just changing the narrative, Ooh, yeah, right? Absolutely. And, and the story we tell ourselves was before, I wonder if people will say that I'm, I don't own many things. And now it's like, yeah, people are saying yeah. I don't own many things. Yeah, It's not good or bad. It's what is appropriate for me. What do I get joy from? It's like when that guy was like, you didn't get rid of anything important. Like we were at the, we were at a show. Yes, and I this, heard this. Yeah. yeah. And then we were like, yeah, yeah, that's right. We didn't get rid of anything important. Good observation. Right. 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 And, and by the way, if, if I'm holding on to something that's important to me today and it stops being important, then I, now I'm just clinging to it, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, because there was some importance in it at one point, or I assigned some meaning to it at some point, mm -hmm. but it's no longer meaningful to me unless, well, it, unless it is doing something for me, it's bringing me joy in some way. But quite often, those objects of our desire become the objects of our discontent because yeah. we we think we want the thing, we want the success, we want, and as you said, it's never enough until you've decided it's enough. Mm. And, and it's not about the becoming of something, right? So uh, Jay Krishnamurti says, uh, the person who seeks to become someone ceases to be free. Mm. Wow. And mm. so 
as we try to become some other person, some idealized version, some mimetic or societal version of, of, of this person, I'll be the better uh, Lisa Lampanelli. I'll, I'll be the better Ryan Nicodemus. Mm. Or I'll, I'll be just like Jim Carrey or whatever it is, yeah. seeking to become that. Now you've lost your freedom. It's no longer I can be me. It's not about being anymore. It's about becoming this other version, this other thing, this thing that other people want me to be. And then, of course, I'll magically be happy somehow. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I really think like the most, I heard a lecture once where the guy goes, our two biggest beliefs are the most, the terrible beliefs we have is I'll never be loved and I'm not enough. Mm. So the not enough is so big. And by the way, it kind of is a bumpy road like after you retire. I read a book recently where the guy said um, people usually have three tries at retirement before they feel it's balanced and successful for them and mm. they're happy because mine was at first, okay, retire from stand-up, I'll become a life coach and I'll do a big, huge podcast on podcast one, like make it big, make it big, still be in the public eye, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, that sucks. I hate life coaching people because I don't care about your journey. Okay, like <laughs> that's not a good coach. I like to give advice and get the F out. So if you don't take it, don't take it. Mm. But come on, I'm rich and famous. You should listen to me. <laughs> right. So, Oh, I like having fun with that. But so I was like, it has to be big, big, big still. So I'm like, okay, that was try number one at retirement. That sucked. Then it was do nothing. Okay. Mm. Like I'm going to sit around and garden. I mean, that's just not me. Yeah. I don't have hobbies that look like hobbies. So yeah. knitting and the stuff that people do, I think that's fantastic. I'm just not talented in anything. I don't like it anyway. Yeah. And the third try is finally like, okay, loss of identity is Okay. If I'm remembered by anybody, that's okay too. Have the little podcast, the little writing meetings, the little fun ballroom dancing stuff, whatever. You cobble together this little life that seems to have peace. Every time I look in my calendar, everything in it is something I want to do. Yes. That's yeah. the only reason this trip to LA, it's literally the first time I've come to LA and not been stressed because. I'm not winning anybody over. Mm. I'm not looking to have, you know, them like me more or me like them more. Yeah. And I'm looking at the calendar going, oh my God, that's cute. That's cute. I think if everybody just took my advice, which I'll give you, <laughs> if your calendar doesn't make you say that's cute, don't do it. Like why? Like this is this is what we're talking about. Yeah. The 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 um the immersion of joy, but that's also, I think you you flip that around and it's the joy of immersion. Mm. Like you've immersed yourself in things that you find to be interesting or fun or stimulating in some way, thrilling. You're enthusiastic about those things that are on your calendar. Yes. There is a particular joy that stems from that. Now, here's where else we run into a problem. And now if we get some joy from it and then we we turn it into a pleasure pursuit, right? Yes. Oh, that was so that was so great. You know what I need to do? Now I need to schedule myself to be on four more podcasts <laughs> while I'm in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. In fact, it, it, Jamie Kilstein who introduced uh, us to you. Yes. He he's a friend of ours and he's been on the podcast several times and like but I see that he, and we've really enjoyed being with him, but then all of a sudden he's like, "All right, when can I come back on?" And it's like all right, chill out, man. We we really enjoy being with you, right? But let's not let's not just turn this into a a pleasure chase. And I, I know all about it because and and so does Ryan. It, it's a, when we whenever we turn those things that we really enjoy into a pleasure chase, it ends up in a long enough timeline making us miserable. Oh my god, hundred <laughs> percent. That's how I used to be and have to sort of dial back from when I see myself doing it. 
I will have dinner. Say last Friday night, I had dinner with two adults. I actually have way more friends in their 30s and 20s just because they still have some kind of, they, they, they don't, they're not jaded as much. Mm. Yeah. So I love That's why the, uh, yeah. the studio audience is here. Yeah, they're youngins and yeah. I love that. And they're just really fun and they're open to trying things, even mm-hmm. though if you try them badly and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. But I had dinner with two adults, so they were in their 40s. And I was like, oh my God, that what a great connection. Well, I felt, I mean, we had a three and a half hour dinner just really connecting. And mm. I was like, I need more of that. So my old impulse was to, before you leave the table, you put the next date in. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, Lisa, mm. don't be that person anymore. It's like when you're on a date with a guy or a girl and you're just like, oh my God, can I secure another date with mm-hmm. you? It's so super needy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, just pull it back. You don't need to OD on these people. You could let it naturally arise. And when you feel it, pursue it so it's not i think it's all not forcing anything like nothing this week in la seems forced it's all just oh i thought of that person oh i'm gonna pursue that because that's cute so uh, it is not ODing on that thing that you thought was joyful yeah that's right yeah i love that it's like uh i don't know it's impulse control in a way yes which is i mean i still struggle with it but but yeah it's like when you have that impulse the question is is like am i chasing something or am i trying to build something or am i trying to give something you know it's there there are better quality questions than is this going to bring me pleasure right like Mm -hmm. do you guys have a problem with or struggle with like instant gratification oh yeah because I, with the, the food time. stuff, I don't really believe in food addiction because I don't know if you can be addicted to something you need. Right, like right. you need air. You can't be air addicted. Right. I, I think food is food and there's no such thing as bad food. Eat what you want. It's fine. It doesn't matter. But I found when I had that dinner with those two women, I didn't eat as much. Mm. And I came home and it was the first time, because I live alone and I will for the rest of my life. I love it. And me and my dogs. And I go, it's a, I noticed the next day, wow, I didn't get a snack while eating, watching TV. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I, will it happen again? I don't know. Mm. But I struggle with at night, mm-hmm. not going for that instant gratification oh, of that yeah. snack or that food. Me too. Oh no. I'm, I'm yeah. Macadamia nuts are like a bag of macadamia nuts. They're lucky to last like three days between my wife and I like, and it's yeah. always, yeah, it's always after eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah it's, I don't do it all the time, but yeah, there are some times when, yeah, you just can't, I just can't deny the impulse. I, I was just yeah. thinking of our friend Max Lugavere. He he wrote this book called uh, Genius Foods, and he has one called The Genius Life. But he he has a real thorough understanding of of food and nutrition. He just posted something on Instagram recently about it was like the starter kit for. I eat healthy, but I still can't lose weight. Yeah. yeah. And it's like handfuls of macadamia nuts. Yeah, yeah. And, After 8 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like all of these things where it's like we tell ourselves one story. Well, this is, quote, healthy, mm-hmm. right? Mm. And yet it's not achieving what I want it to achieve. We did this episode recently on shopping addiction. Mm. And one thing I, I didn't talk about, although we talked about it a little bit at the uh, Salt Lake City event, is whenever we're addicted to something, so if it is food, really that's a pleasure thing. Mm -hmm. The the food thing is being addicted to pleasure. So is drugs or alcohol. And those things are really being addicted to running from misery more so than it is pleasure. It's it's almost always pain avoidance in some way. Mm -hmm. And so with the the shopping addiction thing, it's, or any other addiction, the reason that we are so compelled is it's the most compelling thing that's in front of us. Food is the most compelling thing in front of me, so I'm going to eat it. You know, I used to weigh about 80 pounds more than I weigh mm-hmm. now, and 
And it's because I didn't have anything else that was more compelling in front mm. of me. And any time there's something that's more compelling, more meaningful, things that I'm more enthusiastic about, it's not that I'm replacing food with the other thing. It's that the food doesn't matter anymore right. now. Or right. the alcohol doesn't matter anymore now. Even if it's a physical addiction, Ooh. it no yeah. longer matters as much, especially once you get through the cravings and all this other stuff. It doesn't matter. You don't you don't seek it out anymore because there's something more compelling right there in front of you. But I think yeah. I've always said this. I wrote a play called Stuffed that was off Broadway twice and it was about different four different women, sort of like the vagina monologues but of food and it was about, you know, you know, what do you do with these, you know, with these food issues? And part of mine was like I said during the play and I still struggle with this even, you know, after the weight loss surgery of 11 years being successful, I'm like, um I don't know yet if I have anything that feels better than food tastes. Mm -hmm. And people are like, give you this 101 advice, like take a bath. I'm like, is there food in the bathtub? Then I'm in, <laughs> asshole. It's a but, bath so, of mayonnaise. Yeah, no, well, not that. Maybe chocolate syrup. But isn't it? But it's interesting to really mm. been on this food journey from 18, maybe even birth. Yeah. Till now and still go, I still go, what's more meaningful than food? Yes. Because mm. we have the early example. I kind of traced my food stuff back to my happiest memory of how I can figure out nighttime eating, I think, is because I remember being little. It would just be the five of us, mom, dad, brother, sister, me, watching Wonderful World of Disney mm. on a Sunday with bowls of popcorn. Yes. And my dad never had a food issue. My brother has never. And I just associate that connection with food. Yeah. That knowledge isn't enough to make me not no. grab yeah. it sometimes. It's like intellectually you can understand it, but emotionally. Oh, God. It's, it's a big one-foot journey from the head to the heart. It's it really the longest is. journey ever. Yeah. Did you guys read Johan Hari's book, yes. Lost Connections? Mm. That is so great because I'm like, oh, that's why I didn't have a snack that night when the, I had dinner with those ladies mm. because I had that connection. Yeah. But the meaningful connections are hard to come by, man. One of the things he talks yeah. about in that book is so the reasons that we do things. There's either an intrinsic reason for doing something or an extrinsic. So playing the piano is an example of that. Like you can get up in the morning you have a, if you have a piano there and you just play the piano, right? Uh, I do this with a guitar, and I know Ryan does this with guitar occasionally. Like I'm not playing in front of crowds of people, but I'll get up and I'll, I'll play it, and it's intrinsic pleasure. Mm. There's no outcome associated with it. Right, But then if I were to get up and say, I need other people to like this guitar playing, that is extra. And there's not, we both have both, we, we both do both. Yes. And so we both uh, sort of tap into both reasons. But if you want more fulfillment in life, more satisfaction, more meaning, it's finding those things that bring you intrinsic pleasure mm. where it's not tied to the adulation or the satisfaction or the approval of someone else. Then all of a sudden we're doing this for us and wow. you become the point of view from which and we're no longer trying to please the other people through their point of view. Oh, I need, I need this to be pleasing to them in order for it to be pleasing to me. What a circuitous route to wow. meaning or satisfaction. Well, then, since I'm on this show, and you, Josh, are largely regarded as one of the great minds of our time, <laughs> much like Goldie, like Goldie Hawn. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, Ben, you led into a perfect... Okay, okay, okay. I... Okay, so I need... I know you don't like giving advice, mm -hmm. but make an exception because we may not have this time again. Okay. So I decide everything I do from now on, this is about a year ago, I said, 
will not have a goal with a capital G. Yeah. It will have a small G goals. That's yeah. all I'm going to do the rest of my life, small G goals. Mm-hmm. But I do joke about Dancing with the Stars. That's still a small G goal because it's just funny. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeless. So, okay. I'm sitting around one day with these guys, these two podcasts, or not, the two comics, beginning comics. I noticed they're having very deep conversations the way you guys do. Mm-hmm. I said, that's a podcast. Of course, I worm my way onto it and I come on and, you know, every week I make fun of them a little, but give advice. And, you know, we do grow as people and attack big issues. Mm-hmm. What's the balance for me? Because I freaking love it. I love any situation that I could go in and just talk about myself. That's my best hobby. Mm. So I love doing the podcast, but here's the thing. I do want them to benefit from me as far as successful. I would love to see them become known so they become big comics someday. Mm. I would love for them to start monetizing the podcast Mm. and help them with that. How do I stay in the small G goal while wanting them to have big G goals for themselves because they're kids. They're in their thirties. I really like them. Mm. Well, why do you why do you want them to have Because big I goals? have to earn my life by helping others. <laughs> no, literally I've yeah. never felt worthy of just living without helping someone. Mm. I helped my dad. I helped my mom. I yented it up by trying to help nieces and nephews when they didn't even want it. You know? Yeah. So and then it really falls flat. Yes. So it's I derive meaning unfortunately or for better or worse from helping others and it's part of my identity which i don't think Mm. is bad but it's not good either right right so so i think there's a difference between helping others and healing others Mm. Uh, we can talk about that but i think quite often the reason we're so compelled to there's a line in in one of the essays i I don't know where it is but um, one of my essays where i talk about the helpful man simply can't help himself. Mm-hmm. He he'll, he would rather tear an eagle from the sky to save him from falling or pull a dolphin from the sea to save him from drowning. That's what the mm. helpful man does. I'm going to help you whether you like it or not. But mm. the reason we often do that is because we're afraid of helping ourselves. Mm. And, and so you know what I can do? I don't have to look at my own problems, my own deficiencies, my own insecurities, my own state of being if I can look at everyone else's issues and I can fix those all day. Well, there is no fix. In fact, that's why healing is so profound to me because healing is the opposite of fixing someone. Fixing them requires a doing. Healing mm. requires a being. You heal by not doing. Mm. If wow. you get injured... You have to just not do things for a while until you heal. Mm. And so it's okay to want things for your friends, but as soon as your happiness is tied into that, well, then now I'm outsourcing my contentment to someone else, and I have to meet their expectations in order for me to be content. Mm. Or I can be content while I'm also helping them heal, Mm. which is a little bit different from helping them in general. Mm. So it's almost like I, if I get too obsessed with, oh my God, you know, you guys, we got to promote, we promote, promote, we got to do this, we got to do that. This is all for your own good. It's sort of robbing them of their journey that they're supposed to be taking. Mm. It's robbing them from uh, from their their being in a Mm. way, right? Mm -hmm. And so it becomes, we're so smitten with prescriptions, with how-tos, with with we're so smitten with doing especially in america it's a doing culture achieving and the doing is actually what's making us miserable 
if you look at a baby, they're never like, you don't try to improve them. You don't try to help the baby. I mean, yeah, we feed them. We give them what they need because they depend on us. And there is a biological attachment there. Unfortunately, we hold on to that attachment into our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And we're still acting like babies as though, well, I, I, uh, I guess I need... I need help from other people or I need them to help me. And so we're, we're behaving in, in one way, but that's not what we need. We, it's not that we need help. We don't need to become someone else. Um, and I'm one of the worst contributors to, to this because my, my entire adult life until my late 30s, it was all about, I need you to see me in a particular way. Mm. And I need to control the narrative. I need you to look at me as though I am this person. It was a two-dimensional way of living, yes. right? And, and it's not seeing me, you know, warts and all. And and the irony is, so in Love People Use Things, we wrote about some of the most sort of the hardest things to write about, the, the most, quote, shameful things yes. to write about. Mm. But those are the things that the people always identify with the most, right? If you talk about infidelity, you talk about you know, getting locked up or end up in a mental institution, even if like someone doesn't, I've never been in a mental institution. Yeah, yeah, but I can see that route even for me. Sure. And people can see these routes, even my mom and all of her flaws. But that's where people learn are from these flaws. Our flaws make up the best parts of us. Mm. And so it might look really pristine to project a Tony Robbins-like image onto the world. But even if you dive into Tony Robbins' story, you realize like, Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of flaws in there as well. Right, right. Yeah. So I think maybe this whole lesson is that, you know, doing something is fine. Having mm -hmm. activities is fine. Having weird little hobbies is fine. But don't let it distract from looking at yourself, too. Doing's never the point. I think yeah. that's the key. Yeah. The doing emerges. In fact, Ryan, what was your, your uh, during the, the, Minimal episode, you had your minimal maxim was about desire and... Yeah, it was uh, sincere actions arise from sincere desires. It's never the other way around. Mm. It's not that you do... And, and that's in our culture, it's like, we'll just do a bunch of things until you figure it out. No, 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 no. That's what makes you miserable. But if you have a sincere desire for something... Mm. The actions just manifest. It's it's why Ryan and I don't talk about, here are the seven ways to clean out yeah. your kitchen cabinets. Yes, thank you for not doing that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Those it, books are useless. <laughs> right. Well, and the reason they're useless, though, mm -hmm. is because we are so enamored with the doing, and then we do it. And it's mm. like, but now I feel empty. Like, that didn't do it for me. The doing didn't do it for me. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And the reason the doing doesn't do it for you is if there's not a sincere desire there, if there's not an understanding of the benefits of the why you're doing what you're doing, then it doesn't really matter what you do. You're never going to feel fulfilled from the doing. Doing is also a distraction that keeps you from being. Yeah. Well, also that why you talked about a few episodes ago, why versus the how. Yes. Yeah. So the why is huge. Like if I say to myself, why am I doing this podcast? Why am I declaring my house? Why am I doing anything? It's like, oh, just really knowing it. And even if I screw up and do it for the wrong reasons, at least I know. Yeah. Like, right. oh, I'm being a big yenta. I have to like boss people around. Okay. That's me today. I'll do better tomorrow, I hope. But mm -hmm. as soon as you realize mm -hmm. that, now all of a sudden these absurdities, they... I'm doing this to impress other people that I don't yes. really like. And you say that out loud, you're like, oh, 
maybe I should stop doing this. Yeah, then it's because, so gross. <laughs> yeah, it's like as soon as you start to recognize the why, the howls tend to change on their own. And we were talking about this when we were on tour recently in Phoenix. Someone was was asking about the stuff, and they had a parent or no, a, a husband who died, and and they just started like buying a bunch of things after he died and to, to try to fill this void that, that they felt, right? And so the, the buying of the things was a type of doing. But as soon as you like start saying these things out loud, like I'm trying to replace my husband by buying a Louis Vuitton bag, which is a literal example yeah, here. Yeah. As soon as you say it out loud, then it's like, oh God, get this bag out of here. I don't yeah, even want... Right. The decluttering takes care of itself I, because you're now, you're actually repulsed by the thing that you've that you've acquired and no longer do you need to cling to it in fact it's like trying to cling to a snake no no, no. you drop the snake immediately as soon as you realize oh that's not a bag it's a snake you drop it immediately mm. and i think the same thing is true these things are all things that we're clinging to until we realize what they actually are mm-hmm. the clinging stops automatically right the, the letting go is not something you do it's something you stop doing i know i love that and really with letting go of a in public comedy career, you know, that was a lot to, mm. to get your head on. It's almost like I had to notice the things I was saying after shows and just go, oh, now I can't unlearn that one. <laughs> like when you're getting off going, oh, did I pull it off? And people, you know, think I was happy. Mm. Okay, well, then you just go, oh, that's uh, not like how to live, wow. right? Yeah. So I, you know, I think it was, it's really, I think if we just start noticing, it would really help. Just we yeah. forget, we get on a track and we forget to notice our own lives. Yeah. And now that I'm like doing almost nothing, I'm like, wow, I notice every day is pretty decent as far as just being who I'm supposed to be right now. Yeah. You know, it's not like filling the hole with garbage that we know doesn't work. That's right. Like yeah. I, I was, when the guy, when I was telling you before, um, off camera, off stage, when we, uh, when the guy said to me about the rental car, he's like, well, I got Toyotas for you. And I'm like, Josh would be so happy. I rented a Toyota in LA and I'm a celebrity driving around in a Toyota. Because trust me, I have a Lexus, but you would be really proud of me. It's from 2010 and I'm driving it into the ground. I'm the type I was brought up by depression era parents Mm. who you get that freaking every last mile out of it. Yeah. So once I'm done with that, it's back to Toyota, baby. <laughs> well, that's, that's, the, that's the noticing that we're talking. So you talked yeah. about noticing. If minimalism, if there's a different name for it, it's simply the art of noticing. It's because as soon as you make, as soon as you notice what's going on and you notice the absurdity of all these things, that's why I, I love your comedy because it's so absurdist. Right. But yeah. that the absurdity of it is a type of noticing, mm-hmm. right? And so you've been noticing for many years and you articulate things that people are afraid to articulate because of what? Fear of judgment. And you leaned into that judgment in a way that most people can't do. But there's an incredible freedom in that noticing because when we notice things for how they are, not how we wish they would be, that's the becoming thing. That's the, I need to strive for this. I, I need to, to achieve this. If we notice it for how they are, there is no becoming. It's just the the being that is right here, right now. Man, if I was to like sum all this up in like a sentence, I would say, you know, the it's okay to keep high standards, but if we lower our expectations, then that's when really amazing things happen. 
And I, uh, there is like something funny about how you've given up that career because you realize like, oh, like it's never enough and like it's time for me to end. But you're trying to give these two men this career that you gave up. I know. It's like, take all my stuff that I didn't make me happy. You take it. Right? It's like forcing your belongings on somebody. I did, when you I know? first started Minimize, I gave Ryan 70 neckties. Holy oh my God, crap. He, yeah, he did. <laughs> then I d- minimized them later. Right. Yeah. They, were, they were part of the packing party. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so... so at first it's like, oh, you know, I think you'll get value from it, even though I, I didn't. And you know what's true? 70 different people might have gotten value from those ties. If I would have handed them out yeah. sort of democratically and, and here you get this tie and, and, and finding them a new home, but just offloading it onto Ryan, you're essentially offloading the success that made you I miserable know. onto I someone know. else. I just hope well, they can handle well, it. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting them to be successful and there's nothing wrong with anything actually that we're talking about. But, you know, if you go out of your way to be genuine and to help these two men be genuine, like whatever happens is going to happen. And that's what's meant to happen. And I, I, I don't believe in the whole like, man, you know, manifest manifesting and the secret. Cause no. it's like, it leaves out a big piece of it, which is a lot of action that takes to get yes. to these places. But I will say that when I do hold that high standard of like, here's what I want to put out into the world with, with the lowest expectation, anything I get from that, it's all gravy. It's all sure. sprinkles on top. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I would encourage you to like, and maybe it's, an, I don't know if this is advice or an observation, but when it comes to these two, these, these two comics, like be open to these big, great, grandiose things, but to stay present, to stay in the moment, to put out there, to be genuine, like that's really the, that's the work that you want to put out there. And then if they become rich and famous and famous comics, like that's a beautiful byproduct of what you've done for them. Well, you know, I guess I don't love them that much because I've never said their names on the air, which I'm not going to anyway. Okay. So All screw right. them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. It's like with the right, it's like just do it for fun, do it for yeah. what, how good it makes you feel and have love in your heart and then say whatever journey is meant for them, it is. Yeah. And, th- and you know, with Josh and I, I mean, if, if Josh came to me, or well, I went to Josh, and I'm like, you know, why the hell are you so happy? And that's when he told me about minimalism. Mm. And if I was like, yeah, dude, I want to be a minimalist, and I want to do two documentaries, and I want to yes. do a podcast, and I want to write a New York Times bestselling book, and and uh, you know, we should, we should just do four books in gen. I mean, if I came at it with all of that, yeah. like, I don't think we ever would have got here. I would have run oh, yeah. to the hill. <laughs> yeah. right? He almost ran when, like, just with the blog. Yeah. Was, so yes. back back before uh, we knew about um, different templates and stuff, that he was literally really trying to do the blog in html oh my god so he was, was, he was trying wow. to learn how to code on the fly yeah. and he calls me up he's like i can't do this and finally someone was like hey you should try this service out and like that's how the blog started but but yeah i mean he not only could he not handle the html but all of that stuff to pile on like yeah we never would have gotten anywhere for sure. yeah by the way if, if, you want, if you want to see our entire recipe to start a blog it's the minimalists.com slash blog <laughs> but uh lisa we got some surprise questions Ooh, here today I love that. It looks it. like our first one is from sarah why do we cling to unhappy relationships and how do we let go of them mm. oh boy i'm like the king of clinging to unhappy relationships. i mean not so much anymore but like mm-hmm. back in the day i just like it there's a sense of security there's a sense of uh, knowing the outcome. So even though it's a pernicious relationship I would have, at least I knew what was going to happen. So there's all these like, you know, you feel like you have a little bit of control because you know the outcome. 
you, you feel secure because you don't, you know, you're not going to be throwing things that you don't know of, even if they're negative things that get thrown your way, at least, you know, they're coming. So I think that's a big piece of it. And then, you know, there's that comfortable aspect to it, right? Well, I mean, they always say the hell, you know, is better than the heaven you don't. Amen. So oh, yeah. uh, with my parents, the way I grew up, um, you know, my mother, I, bless her heart, but she had a lot of food issues, rageaholic. And my father was very much of an enabler and the kindest, most humblest guy. But so I always was like, well, that's why I have the relationships and the marriages and thank God the divorces I have. Mm. But I was recreating that because it felt familiar. So I was like, well, at least I know mom and dad stayed together for 60 something years. So this can't be that bad. And I think it's just familiarity and the fear to create something new. Like it's really, really uncomfortable to have different types of friendships where get this, they're equal. Oh man. I would be always Ooh. paying for everything, be the caretaker, all my friends, nobody put takes out a credit card. You know, no, it's Lisa's everything's on me. And then it's like, oh God, no one uh, this is what my biggest pride after um COVID. Because of COVID, thankfully the only one good thing that happened for me was everybody in my life needs me. And I need them versus them just needing me. Yeah. And of course, the goal is to not have a need at all. Mm. But for now, it's progress. Yeah. So I think it's just recreating that childhood stuff for me. It always was. I still fight that. Like I had a friend make fun of me one time. Uh, like we go out to this little diner. It wasn't. It was in Missoula, Montana. It's a cheap place. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, don't worry, guys. I got it. <laughs> and she was like, Okay, Mister, I'll get everything. Yes. And like I didn't realize how. Some people just want to pay for their own meal, but like there is something, well, I have a lot of like, um, starving artist friends. Mm -hmm. So I try to like contribute as much as I can to them, whether it's like buying tickets to their show or like paying for dinner when we're out and about, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's hard for me to get past that still sometimes. Oh, that's a rough one. I remember hearing an interview with Chelsea Handler on Stern where she was talking about, of course I pick up the tab every time because I make the most money Mm. and I have to fight that now. And I even, okay, I'll tell you honestly, I said to the guys on my podcast, Shameless Plug, Loser with a Dream Available Everywhere, (laughs) that I said, look, I'm going to go to LA and do a ton of podcasts that I've had friends on, that I love, that are, and I'm going to see all my friends. I may, when you start making money from this podcast of ours, ask you for that money back. Mm. I knew my flight was free. I mean, you know, I I live cheap now. But I go, I may ask you for that money back just so there's never resentment. Mm. Yeah. And they, as people but still with day jobs, making nothing from comedy, said, you're absolutely right. Mm. Nothing is worth resenting us. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. So I had that thing where I'd have to always pull out the credit card. And this was hilarious. Once I was at a diner with a friend of mine who's a best-selling author. And as a joke, I was just spoofing bridesmaids. I took out that platinum card the Amex card that's really heavy, the one made of steel. Yeah. And I go, oh, darling, don't worry. Everyone should see one of these once in their life. And she goes, oh, how about one of these? And she had the black card. Oh, and we awesome. laughed so hard. And that's I'm like, funny. "It's." but it is a thing we have to fight. Yeah. It's, it's the good fight. People f- want to feel like equals, I think. Yes. Yeah. Sarah, well, why do we cling to unhappy relationships? There's a few things to understand here. The first off is that... It's not the relationship, meaning the other person that is making you happy. There's also not a rela- this thing called a relationship, a separate thing. There's you and there's the other person. And when you come together, we call it a relationship. The other person is not making you unhappy. You and your expectations of the other person are making you unhappy. And so understanding that it's only an un- unhappy relationship because you want one thing out of it. 
but you're getting something else out of the relationship. So how do you let it go? There is no how. There's a, simply an understanding. Mm. Letting go is not something you do. It's something you stop doing. The only way to let go is to stop clinging to a relationship. Now, maybe this is a toxic relationship for you. Maybe it's something that you are clinging to even though you know that it's never going to bring you what you want. Instead of calling it unhappy, let's call it what it is. It's a relationship that's making you miserable. Mm. There's two ways to change that. The first way to change it is to understand that my expectations are what's making me miserable. The second way to change it is to understand that that misery is going to be there in any relationship for which you have an expectation. Mm. Now, you can have a high standard. A high standard simply means living in the moment, doing the best you can, putting the best foot forward. The expectation means I need to get something out of it. So the reason you're clinging right now is because you feel like you need to have this relationship and you need to get satisfaction or happiness or whatever. Those things are not external. They can't be pursued. A relationship can never make you happy. Only you can make you happy. Mm. God, I love that. You know what, I love, what <laughs> I love about this podcast? He lets us take a little shot at trying it. Yeah. He lets us try to answer. Then he knows. <laughs> That's he knows. right. Exactly. He's like, exactly. I got this, bitch. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Let me let me pretend these two have anything to say. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Story of my life. No, but that's so true, man. That's that's really. Don't profound. worry, Sean will just edit you out in post. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I figure that. I figure my mic has never been on this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Emma, we got a question here from Heidi. When you don't want to cling anymore. The journey to change can come with a feeling of emptiness. Mm. How do you deal with that emptiness? So, Lisa, emptiness. We're dealing with emptiness here. And I suspect when you walked away from comedy after 30 years, and now it was like, okay, I stopped clinging to that. The, the question then becomes, what do I cling to next? 100%. Like, okay, cling to the idea of taking this life coaching course for mm. three years and be a great hugely paid life coach, <laughs> having a huge, enormous podcast, getting to lead workshops like food related workshops in Kripalu or all these yoga and meditation places, Canyon Ranch, that'll make me happy. So I started clinging to those pursuits. And mm. then again, as I said before, I was like, none of this is working. None of mm. it fills the hole. None of it makes me feel at all peaceful. It's just another rat race in substitution for the comedy. And now it's like, okay, let's do nothing. Mm. And again, I think it's just emptiness is good. Because then it gives you space to fill it with the right things. Mm. And I wasn't filling it with the right things like connection and stuff, real connection. Right. Yeah. And you know, by the way, Dr. Drew, I had said this on his podcast. This is so wild. I said, I don't think I was ever a comic. I think I was just someone who was trying to connect with something. And that was the way I did it. Ooh. And he goes, I suspect a lot of comedians are like that. Yeah. So yeah, it, mm. it don't work. Don't be afraid of the emptiness. I may actually be afraid of it because it is hard, mm. but it won't last forever. I think we always are just thinking, Ooh. if I start crying, I'll never stop. I'll die from crying. If I have an emptiness, an empty day, it'll never, I'll never have another day with something to do. Yeah. And the saddest thing is not going to the emptiness first. Yeah, it makes me... Uh makes me think about how it's almost a superpower to be able to sit with emptiness and hold space for it. Cause that's, I mean, yeah, sometimes there's a void that, uh, that only, you know, you can fill with acceptance of the void, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. 
Right. So the, the void that we often create or other people create it for us, whether it's marketers or demographers or your peer group, they make you feel inadequate, but it's really you that make you feel inadequate. So that emptiness, the problem with the emptiness is we presuppose that it needs to be filled, right? Mm-hmm. You buy a giant house, you had four homes, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not just four empty homes, these are four homes. Now I have to fill them with things. You have a spare bedroom. I have to get everything that is supposed to be in there. And so we make up all these shoulds. You know, I should buy this. I shouldn't buy that. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. I should eat this. I shouldn't eat that. And all of a sudden, we're filling our life with everyone else's shoulds, everyone else's you're supposed tos. And no wonder we're so miserable. We have identified this emptiness it's we're not happy and so how am i going to be happy i'm only going to be happy if i fill the emptiness well Mm. no no no. the reason i'm unhappy the reason i'm discontented is i think that i should fill the emptiness in the first place Mm. nothing wrong with filling it but what's appropriate for me what is um where do i want to go what i want to do with this some of the most beautiful spaces are really beautiful art museums that are functionally empty right now I don't walk into the Broad Museum downtown LA and say, "Oh my God, who's gonna? When are we gonna fill this empty yeah. space?" Yeah. Mm. No, it's just about appreciating the space for what it is, and maybe that emptiness is a is a sign of calm, of serenity, mm. of peace. That's big. Yeah. You know what I'm very proud of, and you would be very proud of this in my house. My source of pride, one of them, is that I had saved uh, my mother's clothes the stuff i saved was just kind of all these funky old 90s sweaters that kids wear now Mm -hmm. the the, the youth of today Mm -hmm. and i know i have a real hipster couple of nieces and nephews so i gave them all and they were thrilled they were like oh my god this is so badass okay i kept those two drawers empty (laughs) and every once in a while i look at them and i go i don't have to fill these drawers so it's really cool because then i'm like well why do i have the dresser so i could get rid of the dresser someday maybe Mm. maybe somebody needs that maybe one of my my relatives or goodwill or a a habitat Mm. for humanity but it's so funny to go oh i don't have to fill those now it's a weird new feeling at 60 years old that's like a literal acceptance of the emptiness because maybe that dresser because there are some beautiful dressers and armoires and credenza i mean there are Mm -hmm. some beautiful furniture out there and maybe that makes the room but yeah it doesn't mean that we have to stuff it full of stuff just because we have it there in the room i love that it's the literal acceptance of emptiness you're gonna laugh but i literally sometimes go in that back room it's my mother's old bedroom and i'll pull the drawers open i'll be like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i know but it's it's learning what the emptiness can do and we're just afraid of external emptiness and internal emptiness and it's just it's okay we can all be scared but we can kind of muddle through Mm. and so maybe it's not empty maybe it's merely clutter free Mm. Ooh, i think we uh we end on a question here that is apropos especially having lisa lampanelli here Mm. let's talk to Susie. how do you determine when it is time to let go of a dream Letting go of a dream. Mm. So I'm not a big dreamer. I talked earlier about T.K. Coleman on the Minimal episode. My favorite quote of his, he, he, in fact, he has like a, I think it's a TEDx talk or some talk called Dreams Don't Come True, Decisions Do. I'm okay with with 
dreaming in the moment there's sort of two types of dreams one is like a fantasy right now i'm really enjoying thinking about this person or this thing this activity this experience in fact it's it's what makes planning a vacation six months in advance really meaningful because then you get to sort of daydream about it but not with the expectation oh this is going to be wonderful we're going to do this together we're going to do this and so it's a a sort of momentary sort of fantasizing Mm. about what might come but without assigning a definitive expectation to it that's the other kind of dream i need this in order to be fulfilled if i just get this job if i can just sell out carnegie hall if i can just do this thing then it will bring me something the fantasizing in the moment is like no it's already bringing me something right now i'm enjoying this fantasizing about this person place or thing right now in the moment it's almost it's living the future right now yeah but in a way that brings you an immersion in joy. Mm. Now, Lisa, you had to walk away from a dream. How did you make that decision? Well, again, we talked about a bit on minimal. Um, just noticing that there wasn't the joy there used to be and the cuteness and the c- cool feeling of like, and also noticing that, oh, you're going back to your room and eating. That's like a sign. Or I, I've never been a drinker or a drug person, but I, I imagine if you're going and getting hammered after that, every show, that might be an indication. Mine was food. Mine mm-hmm. was also just noticing I'm tired and snippy all the time. And I think letting go of the, the dream is... I sort of had no dreams about comedy anymore, meaning yeah. I wasn't going, oh my God, Madison Square Garden sounds good. Uh-huh. So any dream to me seems attached to expectation and that's when we get ourselves in trouble. So ex- expectations just F us. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. how about just have fun with it? Do it. Like, I always admired, I still do like open micers right. who have no goals. Mm-hmm. And like, oh no, I just, there's this one guy who performs at this little cl- club near me. And he literally had a job during the day teaching kids with autism. He loves it and he's great at it, but just kind of goes up for fun once in a while and does comedy. I'm like, oh my God, I love his life. Mm. Maybe his life isn't perfect. He seems like a bit of a drunk. But anyway, <laughs> no, maybe his life's not perfect, obviously. But boy, I envy people who can just do it for fun. I remember my mm. niece, much like you guys, this is hilarious. She was on this track to become a TV writer. She went to the BU grad program. She was a uh, got into that f- um, fellowship at Nickelodeon. Mm. And she started noticing, and young too, like your guys' age. She wasn't like happy early 20s. And her and her friends sat around all day talking about paranormal and crime stuff. Mm. So they're laughing away and they're like, oh, let's just like buy mics and do a podcast. Dude, it's three years later. They have over 100 million downloads. Wow. And it is phenomenal. They have this weird, huge following, and they sell out theaters everywhere like you guys. <laughs> and I said, how did you come up with the idea? Oh, it was just fun, and we decided we talk, and we didn't expect anything. Mm. Yes. So I think if you can shift your dream, when she asked that question, if you shift your dream to not expecting anything, the problem is that's a tough shift because I thought I should have a TV show called Dream Killer where I would see singers, dancers, actors, and comics, and tell them, kill your dream, you stink. <laughs> but then the good twist of the show would be find them what they find what they really in their heart should be doing. Yeah. So what I think with this, it sounds like this girl, what's her name? Susie. Susie, poor thing, is probably going, God, I've stuck with this singing thing or this acting thing or whatever. I'm 50 years old. I'm just making this up. Mm-hmm. Maybe... Is it time to call it quits? Yes. If there's no joy in it, yes. 
If you think it's cute, do community theater, do the little, do it, shift it to a hobby and keep doing it. But the expect, expectations is what makes us want to just quit. Yeah. So like the tweetable answer is uh, don't kill your dreams, kill your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. See I am that, giving yeah. you the dreaded slow applause break. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> the thing about the expectations is the expectations turn your dreams into nightmares. Ooh, tweet that podcast, Sean. There's a great line from uh, the rapper Belly. He said, I bought my dream house, but now I'm having nightmares in it. <gasps> and, uh, ooh. Wow. Because that's the thing. We, we, we dream for it, and then we get it, and we realize the thing we get when we have to maintain it. Mm. We have to cling to it. We, ha- we have to continue to pursue the thing even past the time that we wanted it because we feel as though I have to have this. Oh, it turns it into a nightmare. I was talking to Emma about this yesterday. There's this, uh, one of my favorite books is Jonathan Franzen's Freedom. And uh, there's a character in there, Richard Katz. He's like this musician who becomes famous. And he talks about uh, fame is the thing he hates but wouldn't want to live without. Mm. Wow. So you ha- it, he hates it. It's his nightmare. But he's clinging to his nightmare. Wow. And I think that's what we do. We thought it was a dream. And maybe it was a dream at one point in time. When I was a kid, my mom asked me what I want to be when I grow up. I said, I either want to be a ninja or an alligator. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see he became an alligator. (laughs) I think he's both. He's toothsome. (laughs) Uh, So so I think the the thing about that that was my dream at one point, I guess, to be a ninja. Um, And... And of course, that doesn't continue to be your dream. And imagine if I still was clinging to that dream. One day I'm going to be a ninja. One day I'm going to be an alligator. Whatever it is. And it's, uh, you realize when I say that how absurd our dreams are, sure. by the way, especially if they're not bringing us what we thought we wanted. Yeah, that's not what we actually wanted. The million dollars isn't what you wanted. You want the feeling. Yeah. You, the thing you want is never the thing you want. It's always the feeling the thing brings to you. And so the success isn't what you want. Selling out a huge theater isn't what you want. It's that feeling you think you're going to get from it. And that feeling is so fleeting. It's so ephemeral. You lose it. And then as soon as you lose it, if you've turned it into a pleasure chase, now you feel even more empty. It's like you filled your cup with this and now it's been emptied and now I need to go fill it again. But next time the cup's a little bit bigger Mm. and I fill it up. It empties out. Now the cup's bigger and Mm. bigger, and it's more and more and more. More is never going to be enough. It's always going to be the pursuit of more. The good chance is, if if you're listening to this, you already have enough. And so anything else you pursue, anything else you become, and anything else you want to be other than what you are right now, it's not going to make you happy if you're not content with with just being. Amen. I think uh, we have a cartoon idea, though. Alligator Ninja. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Patent ending. (laughs) Well, we're here with the queen uh, of meaning. Yes. Lisa Lampanelli, thank you so much for being here today. Guys, you have fulfilled one of my little dreams. Oh, man. And my expectations were Mm. huge, and they were fulfilled. (laughs) No, I really did have fun. I just, I I view this next 30 years, the last 30 years of my life, that I'm just going to do shit like this to just have fun and meet people I admire and see if they're actually as cool as they are on Mm. the air. 
you guys are cooler than you are on the air because I heard you talking dirty. <laughs> no, but you're amazing. Uh, I love it. I'll be at your house for dinner later. Bye. Uh, awesome. We love you. Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. Thanks, pal. Thanks for being here. All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, patrons. Don Minimalists. Mm-hmm. <laughs>